Steve Scheel, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. It has been an honor to get to know you as a professional, as a person of hope, and you are the CEO of Shields. You've worked in just about every role in the company, and now you're at the very top of it. Tell us a little bit, what does excellence mean to you professionally? You know, the pursuit of excellence to us really means, uh, on the one hand, celebrating what you've accomplished, uh, and, but at the same time, never being content with where you are. And from our perspective, it really comes down to, you know, the three pillars of our goal, which is to be the best in the USA in the eyes of our business partners, our associates, and our customers. I love that. That never content. You're someone who doesn't settle for 90%. You want to be the best in all you do. And that extends into your personal life as well. You're a husband, you're a father of three kids. And tell us a little bit about excellence in your personal life. Yeah, you know, my wife always says, if no matter what I do, I have to do it at 100, 110%. And on the one hand, that, that means I kind of limit some of the things I get involved with simply because if you're involved in too much, you can't give everything your all. Uh, but on the other hand, once I'm in, I'm 100% in. And whether that's chasing our kids around to their activities, uh, whether that's my hobbies, whether it be scuba diving or hunting or curling, you know, I always take it to the next level. I'm a scuba instructor as one of my hobby jobs because I couldn't just dive. That wasn't enough. I had to be an instructor. And that's just, I, I just, whenever I get into something, I, something I'm passionate about, I just, I pursue it as far as I possibly can. I love it. The Apostle Paul talks about excellence in all we do, not as just working for others, but as working for the Lord. What would you leave us with as we think about the relentless pursuit of excellence today? You know, I, I think you have to find something you're passionate about, whether you're talking about your professional, your personal, or your church life. And sometimes what you're passionate about isn't the first thing that comes to mind. It may be something that you actually discover a passion for. But once you discover that passion, pursuing that opportunity to, to do as far as you possibly can will help you grow individually in the church and as a family member uh, or professionally, depending on what you're pursuing. Uh, and again, pursuing that excellence and being com uh, content with where you are. Good evening, people of hope. I'm Pastor Steve, and we're in our Culture of Hope series. And today we're exploring the relentless pursuit of excellence. We have a holy discontent in our church to seek excellence in all we do, to honor God and make a difference in others' lives. What is excellence? Let's start with some famous quotes. Excellence is doing a common thing in an uncommon way. Einstein. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Aristotle. Excellence is the result of habitual integrity. Bennett. If you strive for excellence, success will follow. Goshel. Excellence means representing the reputation of Christ well. It means doing all things as best as you can. Kendrick. This morning we'll journey through a lesser known story from the Old Testament, and this evening as well. You'll be here for a while. <laughs> Haram the metalsmith. Haram illustrates how excellence is worship and witness. Doing all things as best as we can for God's eyes first. Learn how our excellence, too, can be worship and witness in our relentless pursuit of excellence. Let's start our journey right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all the glory of our lives go to you. Lord, our greatest achievements are not even scratching the surface of your smallest 
Lord, everything you created is good. You created us in your image to be sub-creators, Lord. Let our art, let our offerings bring delight to you, our Heavenly Father. As a child's drawings go on the fridge of proud parents. And help us, Lord, to in all things point the glory to the greatness of you, our God. And all God's people said, Amen. Son, what's taking you so long? The Jewish widow hollers to her boy who's outside carving a musk melon for dinner. Look, he exclaims. She rolls her eyes and steps out into the evening sunlight where her boy has carved this melon into a blooming rose. Pretty enough for a gallery, yet not prepared enough to eat. How are we supposed to eat that? It's still in one piece, she scolds. Without hesitation, he splits his sculpture in two. It wasn't his first rose melon, and it won't be his last. They live off his late father's government pension. Since his father's death, he's been spending more and more time helping his mother at home. And really, we need the quotes, helping. His mother patches a hole in her dress. He stitches an elaborate collar on his coat. His artistic talents earn him an apprenticeship with the local metalsmith. He graduates from tin to iron, eventually to bronze. The boy excels. Wealthy travelers purchase his pieces. News spreads all the way to Israel, where he lands the best bronze smithing contract in the country, working on Solomon's temple itself. That takes us to 1 Kings 7, 13. King Solomon sent a tire and brought Haram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali and whose father was from Tyre, and a skilled craftsman in bronze. Haram was filled with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge to do all kinds of bronze work. He came to King Solomon and did all the work assigned to him. Who is Haram? Second Chronicles 2 gives us his full name, Haram Abi. His name is half Tyrian, half Jewish. For his father was from Tyre, his mother was from Israel. What does his name tell us? First, there's Haram. Haram means exalted in Phoenician, the language of Tyre. More importantly, however, he shares his name with King Haram I of Tyre. His father worked for that king and named him after the king to earn favor. Second, there's Abi. Abi means my father in Hebrew, the language of Israel. And so Haram Abi literally means my father is the king of Tyre, but it does so in two languages. And so Haram Abi's name tells this classic Romeo and Juliet story of two lovers from divided kingdoms forming one family together. His mother raised him to love God with all his heart, soul, and strength. He spent Tyre's money, but he served Israel's God. He poured his love for God into everything that he created. By 1 Kings 7, news of Haram spreads to King Solomon, 
who invites him to build bronze pillars for the temple. And so Haram travels over 250 miles without planes, trains, or automobiles from Tyre to his mother's home country of Israel. That's the same distance and direction as walking from here to Wisconsin. And so, 1 Kings 7, 15. He cast two bronze pillars, each 18 cubits high and 12 cubits in circumference. He also made two capitals of cast bronze and set them on tops of the pillars. Each capital was five cubits high. And so we're all wondering, what is a cubit? What is a cubit? It's the distance from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. You can hold that up. That's about a foot and a half. These pillars are 35 feet high. That's the height of a three-story building. Listen to what he puts all the way up there. Verse 17. A network of interwoven chains adorn the capitals on top of the pillars, the decorated top. Each, seven for each capital. He made pomegranates in two rows encircling each network to decorate the capitals on the tops of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. The capitals on top of the pillars of the portico, that is the entrance, were in the shape of lilies, four cubits high, six feet. On top of the capitals of both pillars, above the bowl-shaped part, next to the network, were 200 pomegranates in rows all around. Ram carves hundreds of these intricate designs into the tops of these pillars, over three stories high. Could you see all that detail on top of a three-story building? Me neither. Why in the world would Haram put such painstaking detail into something too high for people to appreciate? The answer is worship. Haram decorated the tops of the pillars for God's eyes first. God is a God of detail. Did you know there's a word for a billion, billion, billions? It's called an octillion. That's one followed by 27 zeros. Your body has over seven octillion atoms. There are more atoms in your thumb than there are stars in the universe. And God knits all of them together. Our God is a God of detail. And we can worship God in the detail of our lives. Worship isn't just something we do on Wednesdays and Sundays. It's the extra detail we put into every task for God's eyes first. Excellence is worship. Our excellence shows that God is worthy of our worship. Excellence is also witness. 1 Kings 7, 21 he erected the pillars at the portico, that is the entrance of the temple. The pillar to the south he named Jacob. Actually, this is south. South he named Jacob, and the pillar to the north, Boaz. The capitals on top were in the shape of lilies, and so the work on the pillars were completed. Haram builds two additional freestanding pillars, art 
for art's sake. Just close your eyes and picture these things for a moment. Bronze, three stories high, intricate designs on the top, freestanding. Now open your eyes so you don't fall asleep on me. God loves art. Haram's art for art's sake is an act of worship, but it's also an act of witness. The first time we hear the phrase filled with the Spirit of God in the scriptures is for Bezalel, the artisan. Art is worship. Art is witness. Haram decorates his freestanding pillars, giving them names with deep theological meaning. To the south, Jachin means Yahweh will establish. To the north, Boaz means in him is strength. Taken together, these pillars remind God's people that God is strong to establish his people forever. Now, these freestanding pillars certainly are a witness. But what about those hundreds of pomegranates? Weren't they too high for people to see? Well, they were. That is until the Babylonians broke them down 500 years later. The year is B.C. 587. Jeremiah 52, 7. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands in the bronze sea that were in the temple of the Lord, and they carried back all of the bronze to Babylon. When they toppled these pillars, they saw Haram's lily work. They saw the intricate chain of pomegranates. And what did they do? Did they leave it in the rubble? No. They brought it back to Babylon. Haram's excellence was a witness to a pagan nation that God is worthy of worship. That's 500 years later. A thousand years later, after Haram built these pillars, in John 2, 19, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it. I'll raise it again in three days. Jesus' body was that temple. Like Haram's lilies, Jesus was lifted up. Like Haram's pillars, Jesus' body was broken. And yet in its destruction, it brought salvation to the nations. 2,000 years later, after Haram built these pillars, the medieval saint Bede studied them. Bede wrote, the pillar capitals resemble lilies with gold on the inside and white on the outside, signifying the promised Christ. The gold is his glorious divinity, wrapped in the white of his virtuous humanity. 2,000 years later, Haram's pillars were still inspiring others to worship. 3,000 years later, welcome to hope. We're here studying the story of Haram. His excellence continues to be a witness to the greatness of our God. Excellence is witness. Our excellence says God is worthy of witness. We've heard Haram's story. How do we live what we've learned? Give God your best. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Pursue excellence in every detail. 
There's a woman in our church. She's a wife, a mother, a medical professional. Yet, when she cleans her oven, she doesn't just clean the surface. She removes the knobs, disassembles the whole thing, and cleans it until it's sparkling new. For her, cleaning is worship. Pursue excellence for God's eyes first. In college, I led a weekly worship hour. One night near finals week, no one else came, and I led worship for an empty room. I remember praying, God, just help someone to show up. That's when I heard a still, small voice. I showed up. I loved it. We always have an audience of one. Excellence is the extra detail you put into every task for God's eyes first. Let's say that together. Excellence is the extra detail you put into every task for God's eyes first. Now, this doesn't mean we should all become perfectionists. Any perfectionists in the room? There are a few. We had confession earlier, but you still have a chance. There's a difference between excellence and perfectionism. Excellence gets the job done well. Perfectionism never knows when the job is done. There's a time to work. There's also a time to play. A time to serve and also a time to sit around with loved ones. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We began with a famous quote about excellence, a few of them actually. I want to end with just one more from someone far more famous than Einstein or Aristotle. He's the one who made Einstein, Aristotle, and excellence itself. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story of a faithful servant who with excellence doubles his master's investment. Verse 21, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let our work be worship. Let our lives be witness. And let his words echo in our hearts. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Heavenly Father, we sit before you in your presence in the middle of our work weeks, in the middle of busy lives, long to-do lists. Sometimes it seems that the mundane parts of our day drown out connection with you. Help us to reclaim every moment. Help us in the extra detail of every task to bring worship. Help us in our excellence to bear witness to you. For you are great. And you delight in our humble offerings. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.